Now, it's time to get your morning started the right way. It's the Morning Tailgate with Clay Baker, Vinny Bonsignor, and Lindsey Brown on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Thanks for being with us here in the third hour of the Morning Tailgate. Lindsey Brown, Vinny Bonsignor, Clay Baker. Text line 702-365-9200. Don'tbebroke.com Dollar Loan Center. Thanks for being with us. All right, Marcus Johnson, he's here with us now from Tape Don't Lie. You can find it on YouTube and get all the content. Subscribe. Do yourself a favor and be a part of this uh, this great community that Tape Don't Lie has founded with Marcus Johnson, uh, the Mark John NFL on X. Good morning to you, sir. How are you? Good morning. How you guys doing? Hey, man. Great. Thank you. As, uh, We're in the tape, Marcus. We are. We're knee deep We're into in it. it. Yeah, there, there's uh, film all over the floor, man. And, uh, you know, we're kind of inspired by your work as well. But we also want to go a little deeper and find out maybe a little more of the nuances that you've seen over the course of the fa- past year for both some of the quarterbacks in the draft, especially as we just kind of ended a conversation on Drake May. Yeah, you know, I, I think Drake May is going to be an interesting conversation, especially at the Combine, um, because, you know, I think, you know, a lot of – NFL Twitter and a lot of the film guys on NFL Twitter are, are really higher on Drake May than it seems like the NFL is at this point. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's just a little bit of, you know, how he finished the season and how teams played him the end of the year. I think when, um, you know, the Miami game, before that game, every single game he had was over 70% completion percentage. Then after that, he never did that again. And he had a couple games under 50 and under 60. And the reason was because Miami just blitzed him mm-hmm. a lot. And they kept blitzing him and kept blitzing him and kept blitzing him. And the rest of the ACC follows suit. And then mm. against the Clemson game, it just got really, really ugly for him. So, And, and I, I think that you, you could try to look at it. Was it the offense that he's in? Or it, was it him not being able to execute some things? And there's some things sometimes you get hit hot routes. Or if he's facing cover zero, you know, he had Tez Walker over there, too, which is a first-round pick. So, you know, those guys are still able to get open, and there were some drops there here and there. But I, I think a lot of his mistakes come from that constant pressure coming, that just five or six guys coming, a lot of cover zero. And, you know, sometimes his mechanics would get off, and he'd be throwing balls, in the, uh, you know, just over people's heads. and right. Those type of things were happening with Drake May. So that's just kind of the concern with, with him in a nuanced standpoint. Uh, but, you know, there's so many high-level throws, and he has the size and athleticism and all those things, that somebody's still going to bet on yeah, I, I agree, and I, and I think part of that was they they just didn't respect the offensive line very much after after a certain period of time, the opponents, and they just kept attacking that weakness, and he kind of paid the price uh, for that. There's no doubt he's going to have to improve in terms of dealing with it, but um, you wouldn't expect with an NFL offensive line that he's going to be under that kind of duress unless he just goes to a horrible uh, team. Um, but we'll 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 see. You know how that goes. Do you think there's any chance that he could still push Caleb for the number one spot? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, it all depends on the combine how uh, Caleb uh, Williams interviews. I think, you know, from the film aspect, I think Caleb's going to kind of take that spot at this point. I still think he is the best quarterback in this draft. But when we get into the conversations and they get to know these guys and they, they dig deeper, that's when these guys types, uh, start to separate. I mean, like the part of the reason Will Levis actually fell is because his, his interviews weren't right. good. Uh, you know, that was kind of the thing with him. And th- these things are important. So, you know, if you know, Caleb Williams goes in there with a with an arrogant attitude and doesn't interview well and, you know, it rubs teams the wrong way, then, you know, we might see where Drake Mayer is somebody like that, or even, you know, even Jaden Daniels hops over those guys, because Jaden Daniels is going to be the mature one. I mean, mm-hmm. he's going to be the one, the older guy, he's going to go in there with maturity, you know, playing, you know, that, that much college football with understanding of what exactly, you know, the NFL does, and having Kelly over there and all those guys. So I think that, uh, you know, that 
dynamic of the combine. And then, of course, these visits and these pro days afterwards are going to play a big part in who goes number one. Talking to Marcus Johnson from Tape Don't Lie, YouTube star. We do it. We we go under every stone, no matter where the talent is at. And and just some more on, on Drake because I watched a little bit of his tape and I watched JJ McCarthy's, and so inevitably I'm going to play and compare and all of that. And I just I feel like Drake holds his weight up so high in, in his upper body, his coil, his balance, and so th- those disruptions that you're talking about that really got after him towards the end of the season that worries me because of the way that he throws. It seems like he throws a little bit further back in his in his motion, kind of like a javelin. So the ball looks great when it gets out, but when it comes to being hurried, when it comes to being compromised, do you think he has enough strength to work through the lack of integrity that his body might have? And have you seen people adjust as they went to the league where they kind of sit in their, their stance a little bit differently? Because I, I got to think they got to work on that with him. Oh, yeah, I, I think they got to work on that with him. I, I think it's more about just wanting to stand in there and knowing that those guys are coming and somebody might just pop you in the mouth. I think that's a little bit of his issue when he comes to handling those blitzes. And then when you talk about you know those that, that throwing motion, those type of things, that's because in the NFL, it's important to be able to throw from a muddy pocket. I mean, your, your mm. pocket's not clean all the time. And you're going to have to step up and make a throw in a really, really tight pocket. And that's something that you don't see from Drake May do on film is that making those type of throws from a, a tight pocket. You'll see him get out, uh, you know, get outside. You'll see him do a lot of things. And he just has to learn how to stand in there. And sometimes you just got to, you're going to have to take a big hit. And I think he, that sometimes his unwillingness to do that kind of was what messed up some of the things that, you know, North Carolina was trying to do at the end of the year because you got to be able to take that pop. And, you know, J.J. McCarthy is kind of the opposite. Like, he'll stand there and he's gonna get, he'll get smashed. He doesn't, he doesn't care. There's a mm-hmm. lot more not toughness in the pocket. And I, I don't want to say Drake May is not tough in the pocket because there is elements that he can – he does do those things well. It's just not as consistent. And then that can hold you back in the NFL a little bit because, yeah, I mean, nobody wants to be hit really hard. But, you know, you have to be. Uh, the quarterback position. It's, it's not gonna. It's not something you can avoid. There's gonna be a free rusher some, coming sometimes, but there's gonna be a guy wide open, and you gotta stand in there and you gotta throw that ball to him. And I, I think that's uh, something that Drake May has to work on a little bit. It's just knowing that you you gotta be able to take that hit sometimes and kind of just take that blow and keep it moving and gotta get up and go to the next play. But I I think that has a lot to do with all that. It's that throwing motion and, and all those things. But I I still think he, he's probably. He's such a great thrower of the football mm-hmm. that um, you, you'll find ways to make up for it. He's going to have a lot of plays that you can make because he can make every throw on the field. Marcus, when you take a look at strengths and weaknesses with uh, you know Drake May versus J.J. McCarthy, why are the weaknesses always his age and his body size? Everyone considers the slender build of six foot three, two hundred three pounds, or whatever it is, as a detriment. That seems something that could be corrected. Where do you stand on that as far as guys coming out of the draft and into the NFL? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, with J.J. McCarthy, he could put on size. I right. think he's, he's still young. I mean, he could definitely gain. Uh, I don't know how much weight he could gain, but, I mean, you could definitely see him gaining weight over time. I mean, if he's 21 this year, he's 22 his second year, he's 23 next year, that's, you know, 10 pounds a year is how you put on some good weight. I mean, he can get up to 220 really quickly. And so if he if he puts that in there and he wants to make that a point of emphasis for him to get better at, you know. And, and you know, with J.J., I think J.J.'s biggest thing to me on film is just, you know, he there's not a lot of evidence of him wanting to throw deep when he's not outside the pocket. So, you know, you're kind of worried about whether he's going to be 
that, uh, you know, uh, check down Charlie type of guy, or was it Jim Harbaugh type of thing? But there's a lot of things to like about JJT, especially when he's special outside the pocket. But yeah, him putting size on and, and getting bigger, those are a lot of things that you could, you could deal with, you know, in the NFL. And, you know, you, you see a lot of players get bigger. I mean, Max Crosby's a, a great example. I mean, he was super lean coming in the NFL. And then you see him now, he's, he's almost 260. So it, you, you can, Get bigger in the NFL as soon as you get in, and you could if you you know work with your trainers and do whatever you need to do. But that's not something that you you should worry about, especially with with size, especially how young he is. Marcus, uh, the Raiders are rounding out their uh, their coaching staff, and I'm looking at their their offensive staff in particular. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of West Coast offense connections uh, there, uh, really with everybody from their offensive line coach. Uh, running backs coach, quarterback coach, uh, on and on offensive coordinator, obviously. Uh, how much different do you expect this offense to look like? And um, we were talking about J- uh, Josh Jacobs and his potential fit in this kind of an offense. Uh, where do you see that falling? Yeah, I think this offense is going to look a lot different. Um, it's going to be a totally different system. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting that they brought in Joel Feldman. I feel like mm-hmm. they got a lot of Mike McCarthy guys coming in here. I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you know, you got you got uh, Philbin, and then you know, Getty was in the McCarthy too. So you see a lot of those those guys coming in, and then you have James Craig coming in, who comes in from the 49ers, and you know, he's the offensive line coach at LSU. And you know, in LSU, when he was there, they ran wide zone, and they ran the West Coast offense with Joe Brady. So they, they, there, there is that whole element of them coming in and bringing that West Coast offense, and I think it's gonna make everybody comfortable around them. I mean. You know, probably the only uncomfortable guy right now is probably Jacoby Myers because he's never played in a, a system like this. But, you know, the, the West Coast is so all over the NFL. I mean, Devontae Adams, he, he, he's going to know. He has nothing really for him to learn, yep. right? I mean, he's going to – it, it, it maybe – they change the terminology. I doubt it from where Luke Getty comes from. I bet he brings mm-hmm. that Packers terminology and what they like to say to the, the Raiders. So that's what I'm saying. It's going to be an easy transition for Adams. And Adams can help teach other guys the system. And, you know, even the other players, you know, the, the, the linemen like Colt Miller, those guys that have been in this West Coast system, you know, basically their whole careers yep. before Joshua Daniels got there. So it, it's going to be a different look for fans, but I think for the Raiders players, it's going to be something very familiar. Also, I think the outside zone is, and the inside zone is going to come back. There's a lot, a lot more wide zone, a lot more inside zone. They're still going to mix in a lot of power and, and stuff like that, but it's going to be primarily a zone team. And I think that's where Josh Jacobs does fit in because that's what he does best. It's wide zone, inside zone, those type of uh, those type of runs, split zone, where it's mostly a zone package. You know, and you saw them that tur- they uh, they turned that last year when you know even when they switched from uh, Joshua Daniels to Bo Hardy recalling plays, they became a zone run team. So I think that is something that is going to come in, and you can mix that up. And Zamir White uh, played a lot better in zone too. So if they bring back Jacobs and it has the near white. Both of those guys are comfortable in that system. So I think the West Coast is going to be really good for the players coming in. Talking to Marcus Johnson from Tape, Don't Lie. Uh, I'm creating a new end-of-season award. It's called the Revenge Warrior. Uh, Baker Mayfield won it this year, and I think Justin Fields is going to be uh, deep in the competition for this next year if the Bears move on from him. But who else would you expect to be in the running for the Revenge Warrior Tour next season? I mean, uh, uh, one guy, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, I feel like Justin Herbert would probably be mm. one. I don't know. That's not something I should say on a Raiders channel. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, it's just that like he's that type of guy. I think Harbaugh coming in, I think he's going to – year one Harbaugh is always going to catch a little people off guard, especially year one Greg Roman and the creative stuff that he does with the run game. So I think uh, Herbert, uh, you know, just from having that kind of a down season and, you know, getting hurt and – not winning a lot of games and, and not playing as well as he has before, I think he has a chance to have a, 
a real bounce back season, you know, and, and probably like somebody like Derrick Henry too. I think Derrick mm. Henry is a guy that, you know, yeah, he's an older player and, you know, maybe not the same type of guy, but I feel like he can go to the right team, like the Ravens or something, you know, with that run game. And, you know, you have to play 11 on 11 with Lamar Jackson. That might be able to open up for him a little bit too. So somebody like that, Derrick Henry, uh, or, or even like somebody like Justin Herbert. If you go up to YouTube to tape, don't lie, you're going to find a treasure trove of information that Marcus Johnson provides, Matt Holder as well, doing such a great job. And one of them I really enjoyed was some of the draft uh, uh, profiles that you've been working on. And what does the tape show, especially about you know prospective talents from the Alabama Crimson Tide, like right tackle J.C. Latham? Oh, J.C. Latham is a very exciting player to watch. He's just a tough, mean guy, a lot of pancakes, a lot of just tossing people around. He's so mm-hmm. strong. I wonder how, he's gonna, how much he's going to bench press at the Combine because it's, it's probably going to be over 30 times. I feel like he's one of the strongest players I've seen in, in a long time because if he gets his hands on you, he's not moving. So And, and, and the, the bull rush is not going to work. The teams tried it. I mean, the only way you really can beat him right now is with the speed rush because he's 360 pounds. So you might have to chip a, a, a little bit of weight off of him, you know, take a little bit of weight off. Uh, but he's he's so big. He's so technically sound. He does a lot of nuancey stuff like, you know, faking uh, faking his hands before he actually shows his hands. You know, he, he people try to chop at his hands. He can reset his hands. A lot of technique. Very technical, technically sound. So that's the guy I really like. If the Raiders wanted to go there at thirteen, because he he is not getting past thirteen. So all those they're probably the top four tackles in this. They're they're probably to go really high. So you know if the Raiders you know end up staying at thirteen, they probably have to take a player like him there. Because when you get to the second round, yeah, there there probably be some, still some decent tackles, but they're not going to be the level of these these guys that are really at the top. These top fifteen. It's a, it's a really great O line class overall. You know, the Raiders probably could find some guards and find some tackles that could work and develop. But if they want one of these big guys, they're going to have to take him at 13, and J.C. Latham is one of them. Marcus, I want to go back to uh, J.J. McCarthy for two reasons. Uh, first of all, I uh, want to find out from your perspective how you think he would fit in a West Coast offense. But secondly, I uh, saw a report out of Denver that, uh, and this is no shock, but Sean Payton uh, is reportedly enamored with J.J. McCarthy. I think he's a great fit for that offense as well. Who drafts right ahead of the Raiders, the Denver Broncos, and right ahead of them, uh, the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, So I think if the Raiders are interested in J.J. McCarthy, they're going to have to trade up. My question to you is, where do they have to go in the draft to be able to uh, have access to J.J. McCarthy, and how would he fit in a West Coast offense? Uh, first, I think they have to get to like seven. I mean, yeah. I even feel like you have to jump the Falcons, um, you know, um, just because when you're talking about the West Coast offense, I mean, that's what J.J. ran in college. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jim Harbaugh is a West Coast offense guy. Um, you know, he, he's been running the West Coast offense for a long time, uh, Jim Harbaugh, and it, it, a lot of the concepts that he runs are um, from a West Coast perspective, a lot of the choice routes and a lot of the drive concept, a lot of the things that you see all these West Coast guys do, and J.J. McCarthy did it on film. So I think he's, he's actually a a great fit for this offense because, you know, what Luke Getty does bring is he brings some of that college run game to it, and I think J.J. McCarthy can do that. He does all the runs that you saw Justin Fields do. He's, they're all over his film on Michigan. There's mm-hmm. counters, sweeps, he's doing zone read. So that's what – he is a good fit there. He's going to have a good understanding of what to do in the West Coast offense like really early. And you know, that's, that's when you talk about pro-ready players. That's what they mean. They mean those type of guys that have, or have an understanding of pro concepts because, you know, the pro game is, is a lot more condensed. So you, you know, you can see Michigan have those super spread out guys. They're, 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 they, uh, you know, even though they do try to use most of the field sometimes, they're a lot more condensed than the average college football team. So he has a, a good understanding of what to do with some of those 
concepts and where to go and where to throw the ball. And you know, that's why I was talking about him throwing a lot of short passes because you know what Jim Harbaugh liked to do was the kind of the shorter passing West Coast offense. So that's probably why Sean Payton's probably just in love with him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he saw that up like some of those things like that. So yeah, the Raiders probably have to get to seven because I mean the Falcons, I believe, I mean Rookie Morris, I'm sure he's got a West Coast guy in there too. So um, it, they're gonna have to hop some of these guys at least get to seven or even six to get a quarterback. Yeah, they brought in Zach Robinson, uh, the offense, their new offensive coordinator. So um, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm with you, and uh, I'll, although I do wonder, and I'll just throw this out there. Sorry to take somebody else's question, but um, Justin Fields. There, there, there are reports that maybe Atlanta um, would be interested in Justin Fields. I don't necessarily see the fit with Zach there as the offensive coordinator. But what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think that'd be tough. I mean, because even with what Sean McVay and them like to do is it's not as much vertical passing. And I think it's the short passing game is just something that Justin Fields is always going to struggle with just because of the windup he has. And I think that unless he fixes that throwing motion, it's going to be hard for him to execute at a high level in the West Coast offense, getting those slants off. And sometimes he'll pass things up because I think he even knows in his, in his soul that he's going to have to wind up and he's not going to get that fast pass off in time like, like uh, a normal quick-release quarterback is. So I, I think that's kind of the big thing with Justin Fields. Um, and going to a West Coast offense, you have to have like a vertical passing offense, kind of like you do with Russell Wilson. You have to kind of design that offense to be throwing a lot downfield and not try to rely on some of those short passes like what the typical West Coast offense is. Hey, Marcus, you've been participating in some uh, mock drafts. Hmm. Uh, tell us about the latest three-round mock draft you participated in and what were the surprises and how did the Raiders fill out there? So, so uh, in mine, I took uh, we took the basically we went the route the Raiders found a veteran quarterback that they like. Uh, I went that route in mine. So I took uh, uh, Fuaga from Oregon State. I took Darius Robinson from Missouri, and then I uh, who was the last person? I think I took a. I remember off of my head right now. <laughs> I took, I think, uh, but I know uh, on the other side is the guy, my other host, Glenn. He took a JJ McCarthy at thirteen. And then he ended up taking Kalen King. And then he actually, you know, he went out there and took Audric Estime um, from oh, yeah. the game. So kind of the round up that running back room, just in case, you know, if they do move on from Josh Jacobs, they could find a running back that could fill in. And Estime is a, a, a beast at 5'11", 227 pounds. But I'm trying to remember who I took in the third round. I just can't remember off the top of my head. But I, I think it was a guard. I think I took okay. a guard. Um, another guard or, you know, just that type of player that, they could bring in to kind of solidify this offensive line and just take it to the next level, in my opinion. But you know, actually, I remember now. I took uh, Julian Blackman um, from Louisville, which is another corner. He had a great yes, yeah, that's what I took. So the, uh, he had a great senior bowl. He, he just was really just rolling out there, and he has a pretty good film too. And you know, that, I think that that type of guy to take in the third round to kind of solidify the cornerback room will help a lot. Who is the quarterback? Uh, J.J. McCarthy. Oh, I thought you said you went the, with a veteran quarterback. Ah, oh, oh, the veteran quarterback. No, I went with the veteran, like, the scenario. Got it. Like, it was good. Yeah, like, if it got Kirk Cousins or big, I don't know, whoever. You know. Okay. Lindsay's yeah. guy. Oh, I like it. <laughs> For so, sure. What, what are you working on as uh, we start approaching the combine? What's going on over at TDL? So we're doing a free agency show tonight. So we're going to be looking at some free agents. Uh, I'm, think, I'm, doing, I'm doing Baker Mayfield. Uh, today, so we'll be breaking him down, trying to see what his game is like, and if that is an option for the Raiders as a veteran. Uh, and uh, and then, we, of course, do some more draft stuff, and then we got the scouting combine next week. So, uh, definitely be an exciting week for us. Awesome stuff, Marcus. Thanks again for your time. We look forward to having you again next week. Thank you, guys. All right, thank you, Marcus thanks, Johnson. Marcus. Thank you. Don't lie on YouTube, and uh, everyone's aghast on. Uh, you, it's on bizarre. ESPN Sports Center has finally done a Raiders feature. It's a five-minute. 
package. But they've done like, all right, they to do list. Our show. Every every team gets a to do mm-hmm. list, and finally. It finally happened. We got to see it. A Raiders to-do list on SportsCenter. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, I do wonder if they were waiting for the offensive staff to kind of come into play because yeah. it's, that's going to dictate a little bit of what they do. But I liked where they were going with the defensive linemen. They had Christian Wilkinson up there and, and uh, Chris Jones, the, the Baltimore uh, uh, Raven uh, free agent uh, defensive tackle. So um, I, it'll be interesting to see where they spend their money. Uh, and there are some some younger – I know Chris is the – they want the Raiders to sign Russell Wilson to the veteran minimum and then draft J.J. McCarthy. Ah, uh, yeah. You um, know what? I'll chew on that a little bit. I think – I'm not going to push that right Marcus, away right away. Marcus had a really good point about um, J.J. McCarthy's, and it would actually um, – I think it contradicted what Eddie was saying. I think J.J. McCarthy can play <laughs> day one, especially if he's in the in this kind of a similar offense, um, you know, here with, here with the Raiders – because he has played a lot, and he's played in this type of a type of an offense, so I don't think there's really any reason to put any training. Well, obviously, I it's... think he's expected to compete for a starting. Role. Yeah, without well, question, that, and that's fine. Yeah. Compete. Absolutely, compete. And I think you'll. And I think I think I would be surprised if he didn't if he didn't win the job. But like to, to Lindsey's point, if he doesn't win it, then that so be it. You be you, you have Aiden O'Connell uh, there for that for that particular reason. But I but I do think that he's actually pro ready in spite of the fact that. He's just 21 years old. He's, he has played a lot of games, and he's played in an offense under Jim Harbaugh that was more NFL than some of the offenses some of these other guys played with. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. Like You know how I feel for the, the you rule. You want him to sit that first year. I want him to sit. <laughs> but I also – I read the Probably room. Probably like when I read needed, the room. right? I read the room. Yeah. I read the context of it. And if you're going to go and, and draft somebody like that and, and you have what you do offensively – and you're able to implement it. You absolutely could have something that's like straight out the box, ready to go. Right. And and it that's where you coach to the kid. You coach to the character. Mm-hmm. Is he someone that can handle that level of responsibility? Is is he going to be able to uh, do this week in week out? Aiden O'Connell was able to accomplish that for for the most part last season. And so it's just I, I don't want to ruin a great thing by telling it to be good too soon. And so I. That's where I'm. I wouldn't hate having a little Bridgeroo, but I don't know if I want that to be Russell Wilson either. And also, I, that's where I just want. I want to chew and think on that a little bit more because I don't think that's 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 kind of getting both. I honestly think the bridge could be Aiden O'Connell if that sure. goes down that 100%, way. Hundred percent. You know what I'm saying? Like he, no, you're right. He went five and four. And you I know? don't. And I don't mean to throw Aiden just to the side because it's Russell Wilson. And I don't think I'm you like, are. I think people. I think are. I think there's some people that are just kind of overlooking the fact that for sure they had somebody that played as well as a lot of the rookie quarterbacks. I I, I don't think he's the answer, but I think he's part of the package. Sure. For sure. And, for sure. And and. Uh, but then know, it's somebody with the experience that has more viability than, say, like a Brian Hoyer as the veteran guy that's supposed to kind of be the canopy so these trees have time to grow a yeah, little yeah, bit. And he was a guy that was just teaching. I know. You I, know? And that's what I mean. It's just differing roles when you're right. that veteran guy. But you're not going to sign Russell Wilson to put him on the bench. Heck no. And so, uh, but we, we were, and by we, I mean the Raiders were on the list of teams that he wanted to be traded to when he was with Seattle. Remember that? There was that, Remember that, yeah, request there was that list? story kicking around. And for we know sure. all that. The Saints, he's not going to yeah. go there because they got Derek Carr. Uh, I think the Cowboys are on there. They're not 
that Dak didn't get a contract extension. So well, why know, wouldn't like, the yeah? But, I know, I know. Yeah. I'm just I'm I'm, I'm no. I'm, he's gonna it'll I'm have barb in the water here. I'm His, barbing the it. veteran minimum was what uh, the Sports Center uh, feature was looking well, at. Well, because he's for, making thirty something million dollars. Yeah. yeah, I heard some people are saying they don't think he's gonna be on a roster this year. I'm like, that's ridiculous. Uh, well, that's massive ridiculous. Drop off. Yeah. If you're another team and you, you know you're all you're just gonna offset what he's already he's making like thirty something million dollars. The Broncos when they cut him, they still mm-hmm. owe him money. Yeah. Like that's one of those kind of deals where there's guaranteed money that's was guaranteed at signing that they're going to pay him regardless of whether he's there or not. Right. Um, as opposed to like, you know, there's other players that that don't that, that they get cut before they're at, or when the they're money's guaranteed. Money's ran out like with Dalvin Cook, where the guaranteed was already filled yeah, out. So, so that, you are playing for pennies because you are well, not pennies. It's a million dollars. But you also already made all this money, so and he's really... going to be—he's still going to be making that money. Like right. he's going to be, be getting paid thirty-something million dollars. So if you're if you're a team that needs a quarterback, why not a vet, Why not for a million dollars sign Russell Wilson? Right, that's what I mean. And so you know? it's like I'm I'm trying to just why do I have this apprehension here? Challenge it. Challenge not with it. the Raiders though. <laughs> well, I'm just everything. Everything's an option. Get better. Look at all the options that could potentially make you better and yeah. maybe uh, having somebody shepherd in a, a top level draft pick is a good way to go. It depends on the on the character. Yeah, it also depends. Does he fit with the culture that's now beginning here mm-hmm. over at Raider Nation? Uh, we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll also hit on something that the Sports Center uh, to-do list for the Raiders t- touched on and read some texts up at 702-365-9200 from don'tbebroke.com. We also have Ash Watkins from Salmon Ash Injury Law. She joins us at 945 here on the gate. Get ready for a weekend of 702-365-9200 is the don'tbebroke.com text line. Thanks for bringing in some great thoughts and as we were kind of talking at the Sports Center, what's the on the Raiders must do list? Everybody's what's so do? obsessed with us. Uh, I know it, it's so exciting when they finally get some like you know <gasps> oh, the, what they're talking about the Raiders. They never do that, but there was a uh, thought of number two of business is re-sign Josh Jacobs, and we see from the text line uh, Dark Side Don saying, um, you know. You sh- we're overlooking something. Yes, Josh might cost a little bit, but shouldn't the Raiders reward homegrown talent? Because if you ask me, Josh has earned a payday from the Raiders, and there is only two players as of right now that have deserved that payday. It's Max and Josh. And imagine performing at a high level, which every team asks for, only to be shipped off later because your performance now costs money. Good call, Don. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Great text. Yes and no. I mean, you have to. You just have to do what you feel is right. Um, you know, under the financial umbrella that that you're playing with. Um, it, it's, and if you feel if you feel good about, it was uh, intriguing to hear Marcus talking about uh, Zamir White in that zone run mm-hmm. and how he excelled in that zone run and how he is a fit for what Luke Getze, uh likes to do. Um, you know, there, there has to be a limit to what you're going to pay. And and if and if and if Josh's you know ask ask is is higher than that, I think you need to be disciplined about it. So yeah, of course you want to reward him. They were in a position to reward him last year, and for whatever reason, um, the agent rejected the offer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't think that that was a uh, a well uh, thought out um, decision, but that's the decision that they made. And I know that at the time that that offer was extended, and then. Uh, rejected. Uh, I know from the Raiders' perspective, and this goes for 32 other teams. That doesn't mean the offer, same exact offer, is going to be on the table, you know, next year. And lo and behold, he has a worse year. I think his his rushing stats were half of what they were the year before. So now he's coming in with way less leverage than he Correct. was the, the yeah. season before. So yep. to expect that same offer on the table, I think, is is, is a little bit dubious. And you know you have to look at now Tom Telesco and and his philosophy on on running backs. They went through it with Austin Eckler last year. 
Um, so I don't know. I mean, it, it's it's you you can't just say you want to always reward homegrown talent. You do to an extent, and so if if it goes over that extent, then I can easily see the Raiders saying. Thank you, but no thank you, and moving on. Some more great stuff from the Don't Be Broke text line. Joel from Queens weighing in. We love when we hear from you, Joel. Get back to writing because the children need your stories. But uh, I said great debate or compelling debate this morning on Drake May. This is my sub-amateur take. Uh, you know, as a single dad of a five-year-old, it's hard to really hunker down all the time all for all the college football games on Saturday, but I tried to watch the upcoming prospects when I could. Uh, I watched Tar here football and when I was watching, I was hopeful, optimistic eye, and it just felt like in every crunch time play or big situation, May kind of crumbled. On fourth and go, he would throw it out of bounds type of plays. Those don't show up in the box score. Seems like a great kid and definitely talented, but one skill set you have or don't have in football and in life is intuition. So it scares me off a little bit. Love you guys. Have a great Wednesday. You too, Joel. Thank you what's, for your thoughts. What's interesting uh, to me about, about Drake and – uh, I kind of uh, compare this to Jordan Love when he was at Utah State. You, you go back and look at the year before mm-hmm. um, for Drake, and it was tremendous. His numbers were uh, – he was the number one pick in the draft, basically. Right, but that, but what, and, what Joel's talking about is, is crunch time and the stuff that doesn't necessarily but I do show what, up in he, the He was watching score. last year's – he was watching sure. this past season. Sure. And if you go back to Jordan Love's junior year compared to his senior year, it was two different seasons. And that's what knocked him down, and I think now wrongly so – because he lost a bunch of players from twenty twenty the year before. Mm-hmm. His numbers were great. Then they went down. There were, the interceptions were, were up. The, the completion percentage was down. The numbers were just not as good. Well, he had also lost offensive linemen, wide receivers, running back. So there was some nuance there. Mm-hmm. And I think if you watch the tape of this year but don't watch the tape of last year, you're probably doing a little bit of a disservice. So my, my recommendation to Joel is go watch the, jun- the, the year before his tape mm-hmm. because he looks a lot better, but there was a lot – better talent around him uh, as well. So I, I, I would I would hesitate to get caught into a situation where Jordan Love paid the price for those two different years and fell in the draft as a result. And now the Packers are sitting on a, a quarterback that I think has got a great, lot of great football yeah. ahead of him. And the only reason that he was even there for them at that point was because the the his his most recent year wasn't as good as the year before. I think people overthought that. Yeah, give Paul Patrol a break, Joel, and put that kid in front of the TV with you and watch that tape from twenty twenty two. Yeah, yeah, man, roll uh, it, it. It's pretty simple. You get like uh, you know the little crunchy num nums there and a little bowl. We're not num-num. trying to kid teach the kid grazing, but he'll sit there and watch TV while you go and discover the rest of the world. I feel like grazing's healthier. <laughs> Caleb Williams. <laughs> numbers went gives down. you freedom. Well, I just then you 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 eat small. I feel like you eat smaller portions. Yeah, oh yeah, put it in a bowl. Don't yeah. leave them with the box alone. Right. Oh, yeah. But it's it, then it's about control <laughs> and and can you can you have a I don't when I have ice cream, I don't put it in a bowl. I just eat it out of the carton cuz I I can stop myself. But not everybody has the stop sign in that in that area of their brain. <laughs> That's like in right. other areas of my brain I don't have stop signs, but in that one I do. Me if and you, chicken salad, I'm like that. If chicken you look salad. at Caleb Williams's numbers 2022 to compare to, compared to 2023, they went down in 2023. He lost the Vikings' number one pick, the wide receiver. He, yeah, he was no longer there. They lost some offensive linemen. So, uh, and now we're kind of picking at Caleb a little bit because of what happened last year, and kind of overlooking maybe what we what what happened. Well, uh, and those fingernails, Vinny, it really gives exactly. me pause about the man's character exactly. when he puts paint on his nails and he cries because. A game mattered to what him. What does that all I mean? Just, I just, it means that he just can't compete, I don't think. I can't have a quarterback. I just, who somebody's integrated. Yeah. 
Oh, my goodness. It's great. Keep them coming on the text line, 702-365-9200. Ash Watkins is going to join us, the attorney with Sam and Ash Injury Law. We got stories about AI, Tinder, Hinge, as well as an interesting story coming out of Southern Nevada about Stanley Cups being sold with harmful amounts of lead. Thanks for being with us here on Raider Nation Radio. It's the morning tailgate. Clay Baker, Lindsey Brown, Vinny Bonsignor, and it's time for Street Legal with Sam and Ash. Ash is here with us from SamAndAshLaw.com. In a crash, call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, available both in Nevada and in California. How's it going? How are you? I'm great, guys. It's fun to be here. I also just remembered, I think you named this segment Street Legal, Clay. I think we both did about yeah. five years ago. Branding. Yeah. I know. Gosh. I, I think it came out of your mouth because I was like, all right, why Street Legal? Because it sounded a little naughty to me initially. And I was like, all right, where's this going? <laughs> oh, I but was you know, blaming you for it. <laughs> well, I like this because it, it, it deals with like subjects that hit us hard pretty well. And it's like one is like really strange, especially everyone loves to have their Stanley insulated cups, right? But to think that there was two lawsuits filed by two Nevada women noting that after they had done some at-home lead tests, that there's lead very present in these brand new cups that they bought at big box retailers. What's the recourse on this? Because Stanley is a powerful giant. They've they're, like Their revenues have jumped about uh, $750 million after about $70 million four or five years ago. Isn't it crazy what these little mugs have done for that brand? Right. I mean, they've yeah. been making thermoses and camping stuff for Decades. Since World War II, yeah. I literally we talked about this uh, at throw on throw the flag like weeks ago, and how because they rebranded yeah. like all of their lines to start marketing towards women, and what do you know? We spend money. <laughs> What do you know? Make it pink and it'll sell. And it stars upon (laughs) Thar's vibes, though, right? Because that's the in thing to have. Everybody gets it. But then the study comes out. There's the lawsuit. If it tumbles, the lead apparently gets released because it's in the manufacturing process. Mm. I don't understand how you can make something with bad chemicals. And if something happens to it, you could come into contact with it, how that gets to market. That's, that confuses me. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because it depends on the testing they do mm. in the facility versus things, how things act in the real life, you know? So you see it with all over the lighters with anything, you know, they have certain tests that they think about and certain warnings, and then they send it to the market and they're like, oh, this bright colored lighter is now an attraction to kids. This is a problem. And mm-hmm. so it's something that like you kind of learn after the fact, and it sounds like this lead gets released when it gets bumped around in real life, yeah. um, which is a problem. And I, the real recourse here is if anyone's become ill or sick or has had any type of injury or really like an illness as a result of using their Stanley Cup for days and days and days and days. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I haven't heard any of those stories. I've just heard people wanting basically to sue them for putting a dangerous product in the marketplace. But there's no real the damages there are really the cost of the good. Yeah. Yeah, and, and we hope that it doesn't get to the point where there's yes. testing and there's illness oh, and all this gosh. stuff because uh, lead poisoning, it's a hot topic these days. It is. And so, and that kills your empathy in your brain. We don't want to get anybody to that level of poisoning. <laughs> no. Uh, but if you are in trouble, especially in a car crash, you guys got to call Sam and Ash, Ash Watkins sitting down with us today. And I'm starting to dabble in AI now because it's an inevitability in a lot of yes. ways. I feel very conflicted about it principally, but there's actually a lawsuit that's been filed in the last couple weeks with two health insurers, that's Humana and then United Healthcare. They were using an AI model called NH Predict that wrong, wrongfully denied medically necessary care for elderly and disabled patients covered under Medicare Advantage. 
AI is going to be used in a lot mm-hmm. of different ways. Again, we kind of learn what we need to be concerned about after it happens. Yeah. But when it comes to your job and, and working with insurance companies and, and their utilization of AI, what kind of challenges are you guys facing? You know, we've been dealing with kind of insurance companies and AI a long time. They have this system that they don't like to talk about, but they plug in like medical bill amounts and they run all the numbers like the demographic of the injured person where they live what kind of vehicle income all this stuff and then it like does its little beep 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 and pumps out a number that they say oh this is what their claims worth and so they've been using kind of things like this all along Um, the problem we're even seeing in the legal field there's lazy attorneys out there that are using AI to create paperwork and motions and they go before a judge and AI has produced a case site that doesn't exist. And so mm. attorneys are getting into trouble. It's the new toy. It's all about using it reasonably. Um, insurance companies deny claims, whether it's a human behind the review or AI, so I'm not surprised. But the consequences are problematic. If people needed medically necessary care, they were denied that. It delays them getting that care because they're going through the appeals process. Mm-hmm. And the insurance company's not doing their due diligence and doing spot checks and making sure their AI is accurate. That's that's subjecting them to a significant lawsuit, especially if someone potentially loses their life while they're waiting through that appeals process. In a crash, call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, both in Nevada and in California. Ash is here with us, SamandAshLaw.com. Then what's the recourse then? Because this is going to get much worse and it gets better right away because most of the complex systems and the laws are not really situated to go and find out, all right, what is AI? What are the outcomes? And when can this stop? Because how are we going to police or regulate this? Yeah, so you're going to look to uh, comparable situations. And something I would say is autonomous driving. We're dealing with that now. It's who's responsible for the accident yeah. when the autonomous vehicle is in control. Is it Tesla? Is it the person sitting behind the wheel? Is So in this case, is it Humana who hired the AI? Is it the AI company? Where is that falling? And so you'll start to look to parallel similar industries to kind yeah. of guide the law as you move forward. I would even look at like gun laws and stuff too and liability because yeah. I know some people are trying to go after gun manufacturers mm-hmm. and, and hold them liable. And so that's where everything's so interconnected. You're, you're totally right. And so it's fascinating. And again, I'm super conflicted about it. And it just seems like overcomplication. You're just trying to take stuff out of the hands of humans to put it into computers. And then when they make errors, because things happen, mistakes are made no matter yes. what you are, then you have to make up all this ground and all this time. And ultimately, people end up being hurt. Yeah. And it's making sure that technology is actually cr- creating less work and being more efficient and accurate than a human would be. And right now we're realizing everyone is pushing the AI, their own product to market so quickly that they're not doing their own due diligence to make sure it's the best AI product out there. Right. They just want to get the contract. And then once they got the contract, we're like, eh, we'll figure it out accuracy later. Right. And we have to build the what the yes. AI is, too. And so that's the other thing. Yeah. It's like, well, we're building the framework. We are also still human beings. Yeah. So then we're extrapolating all of our problems into the machine and everything else. So oh, yeah. There's Art- no escape. Yeah, there's none. There's none. But soft skills are going to be what, what succeed in society anymore. It's being able to have that empathy that you were talking yeah. about earlier. Yeah, so, so stay away from those Stanley, Stanley Cups unless you're playing hockey. <laughs> yes. Yeah, stay on those. Yes. Should we abolish all-star games? You're a former collegiate oh. athlete. You know how what games matter and what don't, what competitive differences. We're running out of time, but 
Should we abolish them? The NBA, yes. Yeah. As is, yes. Uh, MLB does it right. It has some consequence to it, mm. so they take it seriously. The NBA needs to figure out a way to make it important to the players or get rid of it. If you're in a crash, call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234 in Nevada and in California, samandashlaw.com. Ash, we're running out of time. Let's do it again next week, okay? I promise I'll be back. Yes! (laughs) For Ash, for Lindsay, for Vinny, I'm Clay. Have a great day, everybody. Rich Eisen is next. Catch us on our podcast page at lvsportsnetwork.com. Have a great day, everybody.